who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. Hi, I'm Madigan from Your Angry Neighborhood Feminist, a podcast that explores the world through a personal, intersectional feminist perspective. Each Monday, I bring you a brand new full-length episode covering something from a wide variety of topics. And then every Friday, come meet up with me again for a mini What's in the News episode so you can stay up to date on everything that's going on in the world. Check out Your Angry Neighborhood Feminist wherever you get your podcasts. And rage on. Welcome, citizens, to Liberty Tales from the Tower. As your media director, it is my privilege to inform you that the following stories will contain content some listeners will certainly find disturbing. But first, a message from us here at this station. In strange astronomy news, students on a trip to the Zine Planetarium and its new Space Telescope Observatory edition were greeted by peculiar occurrences in the deep space photographs. Children reported seeing pictures of actively moving clouds of matter, some describing them as massive, limbless people opening their jaws so wide they swallowed the stars. Uh, Children have such active imaginations. The mass pareidolia event affected all 46 children on the trip, and the public relations representative from the planetarium has stated there was a malfunction with the observation equipment while it was focused on an odd example of gravitational lensing near a collection of interstellar gases and dust. Now, none of the active astronomers nor the planetarium's director have been seen for public comment following the visit. This week, we follow a young boy who's been diagnosed as an insomniac. Written by Christy Luce, let's learn more about his condition and perhaps discover a cure. According to his datapad, Ovid has been lying in bed and counting the grooves in his ceiling for three hours, 24 minutes, and six seconds. He doesn't expect the game to trick him into slumber, 
nor is he hoping that it might. It wasn't his idea in the first place. The doctor suggested the boring activity. He recalls the physician saying how a repetition of pattern would soothe the over-erratic firings of his mind, or something professional sounding like that. Ovid was sure that probably worked for someone else. Maybe ticking his eyes over each notch in the wall, or numbering the stars beneath his eyelids, or even imagining a giant eraser sweeping him into a dream would lull him to sleep if the problem were that his mind is overactive. His mind is just fine, but Ovid agreed to try it anyway. At least it got the doctor to stop asking questions. Sleep finds him eventually. It always does. And it lingers in the morning past his alarm, trying to hold him in its tendrils like a friend that arrived too late and refuses to leave so soon. It always reaches him that way, as if weariness will only make him an offer at the times he can't accept it. If he could have it his way, he'd let sleep take him now, in the streaming sunlight that lacerates the blinds of his window in a way that would keep the normal, diurnal beings awake. But he can hear his mother outside his room getting ready for the day, there to rouse him for his courses if he doesn't get out of bed soon. She would see that he hadn't slept nearly enough, and if she asked... He would tell her it was because the doctor's trick didn't work. He would not tell her it was because he refused to let his eyes close and succumb to the confines of night. The day carries extra weight as it unfolds, like his body is heavier, and he feels it with every step and shift of movement. He tries his best to pay attention, but the strings of words that flow through his ears get muddled somewhere in his fatigue and they reverberate in low, formless tones without sticking to memory. His desktop becomes a more sufficient pillow than the one on his bed, and although he tells himself he's only going to rest his head for a second, his desire to stay awake soon slips away from him. A rap next to his ear breaches his ill-timed slumber, heaving him from unconsciousness before he can so much as dip his toes. Ovid? His teacher's voice is stern. Not a yell, and not angry, but it's a tone that intimates, I'll be talking to your mother. Ovid apologizes five times when his mother picks him up. He hangs his head when his teacher brings up his slipping grades, though, in truth, the gesture is equally a surrender to his lack of energy as it is shame. A third part of him simply seeks an escape from the gaze of disappointment he does not want to see. It's not my fault, though. He defends himself in his head. I want to do well, but I just need to sleep. The argument isn't one he can bring himself to voice aloud, but he doesn't need to. When he finally raises his head to look at his mother, he can tell by the way she looks back that she has already gathered the details he refuses to confess. He slouches at the table when they are home, and his mother prepares his evening meal. He wonders how much longer it will be until she speaks, or if she left all the words she had at the classroom. His own voice remains forgotten somewhere in the folds of his sheets. She sets the portion down in front of him and then takes the seat adjacent. In his periphery, he can see the outline of her looking at him 
and can imagine her face offering a comforting smile, but he is too afraid to look that way and find something otherwise. I spoke with the doctor again today. His mother leans toward him when she abandons her silence. Her voice cradles him with a warmth that is missing from his nighttime bed, and all he wants to do is bury himself in her arms where the darkness can't touch him and stay there until the sun burns it away. He said that it's normal for boys your age to experience changes in the way you feel. It's all part of growing up. Sometimes you might lose comfort from places you once found it. You might be anxious or stressed or afraid. I'm not afraid. The outburst explodes from Ovid's chest before he can think about it, as though a part of him that did manage to find sleep awoke just then to say it for him. His fork rattles against the metal of his meal canister. He clenches his fist, then flattens the utensil against the table. His mother combs the bangs from his forehead to the side of his face. At last, his eyes shift to her, moving thick through tears he won't let fall. He blinks until they subside and he can see her clearly, and the smile he hoped for hugs him like a blanket. You know, even I don't like the night sometimes. Ovid's heart pumps cold blood through his veins, but he listens. His mother continues. The night has a way of distorting things, making them scary, misshapen versions of what they are in the day. Sometimes it even calls things up from the dark that never see the light of day. It tricks you to make you think you're alone or lost or in danger. Or damned. The thought scrapes through his mind in a voice that sounds like his own, but it does not crest his lips. But then the sun rises in the morning and it shines light on all the night's lies. You see that a dark shadow was just a coat rack. Your thoughts flow the way they're supposed to again, and you can't remember why you felt the way you did when enshrouded by the dark. Ovid knows his mother is fibbing. He knows she is not afraid of the dark, or any of the things that crawl out of it. I'm not afraid, he repeats in a raspy whisper. Well, if you were, that would be quite all right. And either way, I have something to show you that might help you sleep. He's not sure whether he should be hopeful or not. After all, none of the methods he has tried so far have even come close to working. But when his mother turns to grab her datapad and begins to scroll through the apps, interest captures him. A confident grin brightens her face as she taps through the screen until she finds the program she's looking for. Without preamble, she props the device on the table and turns it around to face him. The screen is simple, a plain black background with thin writing that sparkles white, the ends of which seem to twinkle like how a dull star would through an overcast night, though that might just be the way his tired eyes render the electronic screen. The title swoops across the center in an easy cursive script he has no trouble reading, Insomniac. He stares at it. The screen remains stagnant, all but for the glimmering font. He blinks, and his gaze continues down to another script, this one smaller and outlined in a box, that reads, Tap to begin. Deduction fails him, and he asks, What does it do? It's a special kind of sound soother. His mother lays the datapad flat, 
then taps her fingertip where the box indicates to do just that. The screen winks out in response, but before Ovid can suspect that the device has shut off, a melody he has never heard before drifts from the speakers. The tune isn't from any instrument that he can recognize. Rather, it registers more like an assortment of the sounds that were from a computer, all laced together in just the right way until their rhythm forms a lullaby. Ovid isn't sure how long it plays, how long his mother waits as the tones coast through his ears and melt his insides. And as he loses himself to the relaxation, he wonders idly if the song has started over or if it has no end. It winds through his lungs, lengthening his breaths, and before he knows it, even his eyelids have dropped their curtain to fully soak in the sound. The effect reminds him of an anesthesia, or even something more arcane, like a charm that works beyond the terrestrial limits of science, to coax him from one universe to the other one he cannot find at night, and he's almost happy to drift away to it. It's nice. He pieces the response together just to have one, unwilling to give too much attention away and lose the lullaby's trance. His mother hums with a small laugh. <laughs> All you have to do is turn it on when you lie down to sleep. I'd say it's worth a try, wouldn't you? Yeah. His head dips from his neck, comfortable even with the rest of him propped upright. He considers the merits of turning in for the night here and now. But before he can sink any further into the repose, the tune stops. His eyes flutter open to find his mother's finger over the button once more, and he watches the silvery writing scrawl itself over the black screen, awaiting another touch to begin again. His mother rubs his back. Finish your meal and your homework, and then if you want to, you can wash up and get ready for bed early. After heeding his mother's command, he wastes no time in changing into his pajamas, washing his face, and brushing his teeth, all with sidelong glances to the data pad. When there is nothing left to be done, the sun has already slipped from the brim of the world to usher in the night, and Ovid stands at his mother's doorway, ready to be put to bed. She sits on the edge of his mattress as she pulls the covers up to his chin and tucks them snugly along his sides, patting away all the bumps. He digs his feet under the end of the blanket. A nervous energy buzzes through his toes, and he tries not to get too anxious or else the thing won't even work and his excitement will all have been for nothing. His mother kisses him on the forehead. Sweet dreams, my sweet boy. She swipes through the data pad on the nightstand until she reaches the dull black screen and the shimmery writing appears. She taps the box once, and the lullaby draws Ovid's eyes shut. He's riding a slow exhale when he hears his mother leave his side, flick off the light, and tiptoe out the door. The song swallows him as the darkness does, dropping his body into the embrace of his bed. All at once, he is weightless, as if cradled in a hammock suspended in space, and he can relax and breathe. His thoughts flit throughout his mind in formless blurs he doesn't feel compelled to hang on to. And instead, he lets them drift on as part of the soft and warm ether that hugs him in peace. The creak of his mother's steps moving down the hallway has gone, 
the bustle of his neighbors moving in their flats around him has gone. Even that piercing silence that rings through his ears on the waves of night has gone. The only sound that remains is the lullaby, whirring and humming and chiming. He floats on it, letting the solid of his bed dissipate beneath him until the world of dreams and the world of the living cross over one another, and he waits at the cusp for one to claim him. Then he is stuck, stuck in between. His mattress still enclasps him, but he cannot move through it or swim to either shore. A spark of panic ignites in his gut, but he smothers it, because his bed is still soft, still warm, still safe. If he just waits a moment, he will slip over to the other side, he's sure of it. He goes back to breathing, and his ribs press against air that feels thicker than before. He isn't sure what compels his eyes to crack open. Maybe they aren't open at all, and the outline of his room paints itself with shadows into the background of a formulating dream. If he is asleep, what he sees is a perfect replica. The window is to his left, his nightstand is to his right. The door to the hallway is beyond that, securely shut. The black depth of his closet is straight out beyond his feet. The lines are fuzzed, and the details darkened, but it is his room and everything in it. Except there is one extra thing. A figure. He sees it, right there, standing over the foot of his bed. The outline of a person. Or something like a person. Blacker than the shadows, and hunched toward him. Not just standing, but leaning. Hovering. He tries to fix his vision on it, to draw in the details he can't make out. The head of the thing tilts. And as he looks on it a moment longer, he thinks he sees two twinkling, white orbs shimmer from where the eyes should be. It's the last thing he remembers before he slips into unconsciousness. He's sound asleep when his alarm tears him into the morning. The sun warms his face through a sliver in the blinds, prodding his eyelids with a pink light that simmers away the remnants of whatever dream caught him. His datapad beeps from the nightstand, and he lets it resound as he blinks into consciousness. He stirs carefully, wondering if his limbs will still be frozen, but then he slides his knees up with ease, and the rest of him comes to life soon after. Stale light coats the room, the early day having cleared out the shadows of the evening. As he sifts through his thoughts trying to recall pieces of his dreams, a darkened memory tugs his gaze to the end of his bed. There is nothing there. When Ovid rises and stretches, he realizes, after sorting away his other thoughts, that the application did indeed do its job. The fatigue that plagued him every morning after too many nights of restlessness seems to have evaporated from his body, and he kicks his legs off the side of the bed with a vitality that boys his age are supposed to wake up with. He reaches for the datapad on his nightstand and bounces his fingertip off the screen to silence his alarm. The beeping ceases, 
and the screen writes itself to the black homepage, where silvery writing scrawls the tap-to-begin box back across the center. His mother greets him with a smile when he sits down for breakfast. Perhaps she sees the spring in his step, where normally his feet would drag along the floor until he slumped into the chair. She plants a kiss into his hair as she sets his meal canister in front of him. A glint in her eye betrays her satisfaction in knowing that her method worked. Maybe mothers do always know best after all. Or at least, his mother does. He smirks as he takes a bite, then meets her sparkling gaze. You look positively refreshed. He shrugs, but a short giggle corrupts his nonchalance. I do believe you'll be the most alert student of your whole class today. I'll know every answer, he agrees. He means it, too. His mind feels alert, and an electric energy buzzes through every vein from his brain to his toes, all thanks to a restful night of sleep. I imagine you'll be using that app every night now, his mother chimes back. The comment makes his stomach drop into a cold pit. He's not immediately aware of what provokes the reaction, and before he even has time to think about it, he is overcome with a feeling of dread that takes him far away from the table. No, a voice says from a distant place, in a corner of his mind, hiding somewhere safe under the covers. All at once, the idea of going to bed, of using the Insomniac app again, sickens him in a way that teetering on the edge of a tower might, where a plunge through hundreds of feet down awaits the slightest misstep. But why? It worked. It helped him. He slept through the night. He tries to remember his dreams. All he does remember is the slip into unconsciousness and the inky shape that bid him into it. A dream. It's silly to think it could have been anything else. Wasn't his mother just talking about things like that? Shadows in the night that become coat racks in the morning. That's all it was. Of course, he doesn't have a coat rack to justify the logic, but the logic is all the same either way. It was nothing. A dark figure sewn by his imagination. I'm not afraid. He shakes it off and forces himself to nod at his mother. She is right. She is always right because she will always keep him safe. And it's okay because the app worked. He doesn't need to think about any other part of it right now. His day unfolds just as he and his mother anticipated. He raises his hand every time his teacher asks a question, and every time he is called on, he gets it right. At recess, he never stops running, and his legs could keep going even when the bell brings them inside. He tackles every problem, soaks in every lesson, wins every game. And it's all over so soon. The day flies by as quickly as the night did after he fell asleep. If his mind weren't in such a sharp state, he might question whether or not it was all a dream. As quickly as blinking, he is home once again at his dinner table, with his mother sliding his evening meal canister in front of him. And the sun is setting. He watches the sky turn. It's all he can do. He watches as a haze thickens and ignites into a fiery orange that explodes across each end of the horizon, 
until at last the blaze burns out, leaving the ash of the heavens charred black. A thought pesters him, that if all the lights in his flat were to go out, he wouldn't be able to see so much as the outline of his own hand in front of him. He swallows a small bite of meal, and it hits his stomach like a rock. Ovid? His mother's voice pulls him from the delirium, but he still feels unwell, as if a giant vacuum has sucked out all the heat from his face. What did his mother say before? About the night? That the night distorts things, makes them scary. That the night lies. That the night calls forth things that never see the light of day. I'm not hungry, he mumbles, afraid he might lose what small portion he did manage to consume if he says any more. But he doesn't need to, because his mother already knows. She knows when anything is wrong and she makes it better. That's what she always does. His mother doesn't press further. Instead, she clears away his place setting and lets him lie down on the couch and watch broadcasts for the rest of the evening. She covers him in a blanket, and after a while he grows comfortable, even sleepy. Silly. I'm being silly, he tells himself. Everything is fine. He wants to stay there, curled up in a ball on the couch, while the light of the broadcasts flashes beyond his lids until the sun returns and shadows become coat racks. Would his mother let him stay there all night if he asked? She would. He knows she would. If he asked, he's sure she would let him sleep in her room tonight. She would hold him safe against her chest and everything would be okay and nothing could hurt him. He can't bring himself to ask for either one. When the time comes, his mother tucks him into bed like she always does, kisses him on the head like she always does, sweet dreams, my sweet tells boy. him sweet dreams like she always does, and she turns on the Insomniac app before she leaves him in the dark. It takes no time at all for the hypnotic lullaby to coil through his insides. Just as before, he feels all sense of weight leave his limbs, and his mind smooths over into a fuzzy, senseless tranquility. The knot in his stomach loosens with each exhale, and while losing himself again to the stupor is not particularly comforting, it isn't entirely unpleasant either. He feels like he's paddling, searching for the other shore. If he can find it, if he can make it there and stay until morning, everything will be okay. The raft drifts onward, and before long, he doesn't know how long. Everything he feels, knows, and sees is swallowed in black. He knows he's stuck before he tries to move. It almost feels like waking up, except only his mind is roused his body lost somewhere in the depths of unconsciousness. He tells his arm to move, searches for the muscle that will lift it up, pull him out of the trap, but the connection is lost. He knows he's still in his bed, and he knows it's the middle of the night too. That much he can feel, even without looking, as if the night itself is sopping his skin with its clammy grip. It came for him, 
He found sleep and warmth and safety, and the night came for him anyway, yanking only enough of him back into consciousness so that he would know it, but be unable to fight it. His limbs don't work. His head doesn't work. His breath doesn't work. But his eyes still work. He opens them. It's there, blacker than the dark, a figure born out of everything you can't see and all the terrors and shadows of the night perches on the edge of his bed next to him. This time, it's closer. So close that if he could move, he could reach out and touch it. And it's here for him. He can tell by the way it looms, like it's trying to suck in the very air his paralyzed lungs exhale like it wants to lap up his blood and his thoughts and anything else he has to give. Like it's hungry. Go away. He tries to speak, to shout or scream, but all he can do is will it. He can't even close his eyes anymore. Please, please go away. No voice breaks through his lips, and yet, somehow, he's sure the thing hears him. Its head jerks, in a snapping motion that shouldn't be, like a neck breaking and resetting itself into a new position. Beneath the two holes of white that bore into him, a silvery, knife-edged smile slices a crescent across its face, a mouth to drink him in and devour him. The thing buckles forward over his bed, nearing in the same crooked jolts that fracture its outline and render it hard to discern beyond its foreboding shape. But from its black mass, he sees it reach out some semblance of an arm and then unfurl a series of spindly fingers. Its smile widens, edges sharp enough to draw blood, and the fingers latch onto his throat. A wail pierces the fog of his surroundings, sundering the limbo that holds him captive, and it isn't until a fire erupts within his throat that he realizes his voice has awakened and he is the one screaming. The fingers around his neck tighten, trying to choke off his cry, or trying to strangle him. And their grip scratches his skin, brittle and dry like solidified smoke. His scream bellows through the restraint, but the devilish smile does not slacken. It inches closer. Ovid's door flies open, and the figure winks out of existence as the light flicks on. Ovid! His mother rushes to his bedside. Suddenly, his limbs are working again, and he's flailing and thrashing and still screaming while his mother tries to calm him. The whirring lullaby still sings undisturbed from his nightstand. Turn it off! He shrieks, and he scrambles through his mother's embrace to swat at the device. It clatters to the floor, and he hopes it breaks, and he wants to stomp on it and smash it to pieces if only he can untangle himself from his sheets. But the tune carries on in the whirs and beeps and hums that weave its web. His mother scoops the data pad off the ground, and before he can make a grab for it, she taps the center of the screen, and the sound ceases. His mother takes him in her arms, cradling his face with a soft hand, and his body is convulsing with sobs he can't contain. He wraps his arms around her, and he will never let go, will never turn off the lights, will never close his eyes again. 
She rocks him back and forth and leans her cheek against his hair. Shh. It's all right. It was just a nightmare. Everything is all right now. No. Ovid whimpers, and his throat catches every time he tries to breathe. It wasn't. He felt it. The thing grabbed him, and he felt it. His neck still aches where it squeezed him, and he can almost still feel its rough digits, like it was something just barely physical, just barely real, or something becoming real. Everything is all right now, his mother repeats. The tears still stream from his face, but her voice quells his sobs, and he wants her to keep saying it. He wants to listen to his mother's voice and nothing else until he can rest in the warmth and in the light and anywhere that the fingers of the night can't reach. He holds on to her tighter. Everything will be all right. Go back to sleep, my darling. He shakes his head against her. Please stay, he pleads. He claws into her shirt, anchors in so she can't leave him. Please don't leave me alone. Shh. I'm right here, she coos, and she rocks him. She rocks him until the tears stop falling, until his fists unclench and his arms lay loosely around her center. She rocks him until the sun starts to bleach the sky, and at last his eyelids grow heavy. She rocks him until he finds sleep in the safe morning. Ovid doesn't eat breakfast. He sits in his spot at the table, staring at his meal canister, but he doesn't move or speak. His mother brushes a palm under his bangs to feel his forehead, and she calls his teacher and tells her that he has a fever and won't be in class today. He muses on how easily lies come to her, remembering when she told him that she was scared of the night too. He wonders what else she has lied about. He doesn't leave the couch all day, sedating himself with the nonsense of broadcasts he hardly pays attention to. Every now and then, he drifts between various stages of sleepiness, where his eyes shut and the background noise becomes intertwined in the fabric of semi-lucid dreams. None last long, and whenever he begins to float too far away, he jolts himself awake and glues his eyes back on the display. He doesn't trust sleep anymore. Even in the daytime, Every time he blinks, he almost sees it, just for a split second. That fractured outline, the fathomless eyes, the crescent smile. The day carries on, and then wanes. And as if he is fated to always return to the maw of the monster, evening rises again. His mother sits with him for longer than usual when she puts him to bed. Maybe she can sense that he doesn't want her to leave, but he knows she won't stay this time. Even if he asks her to, she will leave the moment he falls asleep and he will again be alone. She combs his hair and hums her own lullaby, and when he has no words to beg her not to go, she stands from his bedside and her hand glides over to the screen of the data pad. Don't turn it on tonight, he exclaims, and her hand stops over its face. The tap-to-begin box seems to pulse in anticipation of the touch, as if reaching out to the flesh that will give it life. 
She gazes at Ovid somberly for a moment, and his pleading eyes do not relent. At last, she nods, then turns the device off and stows it away in his nightstand drawer. Sweet dreams, my sweet boy. She turns off the light and closes his door quietly behind her. Ovid doesn't shut his eyes. He scans his room instead, tracing every corner, measuring every shadow, and he does it again and again until he knows every inch of what is there without having to look. Then he tips his head to the ceiling and counts the grooves like he did before, and he will keep counting them until the sun floods his room with light. He counts and recounts until his eyes burn and he can hardly keep them open. The number changes as the night grows deeper, and he has no idea how far he has swum and how much farther he has to go. His blinks become longer. Weariness beckons him. He closes his eyes, just for a second. The lullaby whirs to life from the drawer beside him. He bolts upright, kicking backwards through his sheets, and his head darts about the room as he scrambles, and he hurls his pillow at the nightstand where the app has turned itself on. Mother! Mother, help me! He's only alone for another second, and in the next, his mother bursts through his door and rushes to his side without even turning on the light. She crawls straight into his bed and scoops him into her arms, and he buries his face into her, wailing in wordless sounds that break from his chest, if only to drown out the tune of the app that is still playing. It's real, he says through ragged sobs and desperate yelps. It's real, and it's coming for me. The hush is all that trails from her lips, and she rocks him back and forth like she did the night before. Except, it's not exactly as she did the night before. Her movement is different. It's not the careful sway that comforted him and quieted his cries. This motion is quicker, shifting him in short ticks that are awkward and uneven. She repeats. The lullaby seems to play louder. Ovid's hand shakes where he grasps onto his mother's shirt. When he looks up at her, she is already looking down at him. It looks like his mother. The hair, the skin, the clothes. But something is wrong. Her smile is wrong. The grin that splits her face is a perfect crescent. And it gleams too white, too wicked. And he knows that smile and knows the inhuman eyes its sharp corners point to. Suddenly he can't move. Fully awake this time, and fully aware, he loses the connection to his body. A hand clamps his arm, another snakes around his neck, but it is the thing's face that holds him captive. He hears the voice. But it is not his mother's voice. It's a voice made of whirs and beeps and hums, bent in the right way to sound like stolen words. Now when he looks at it, he sees the black shadow. The night that he couldn't run from. The night 
come to take him at last. Its mouth opens, wider than he thought it could, and he does not know what lies at the bottom of its belly. Only that, it is what awaits him. for listening to the Liberty Podcast, Tales from the Tower. Insomniac was written and read by Christy Luce and co-produced by Pacific S. Obadiah and Travis Vengroff and mixed by Brandon Strader. Insomniac features additional voices by Caitlin Statz. If you have enjoyed listening to this episode, please consider supporting us on Patreon or by liking and reviewing our show on iTunes. This broadcast is a product of Fool and Scholar Productions. This production is copyrighted 2017 by John Dossinger Publishing, and Liberty is a trademark of Travis Vengroff. Thank you for listening, and may the Archon watch over you. Hi, I'm Madigan from Your Angry Neighborhood Feminist, the podcast that explores the world through a personal, intersectional feminist perspective. I bring you two episodes a week. Every Monday, I cover something from a wide variety of topics, covering everything from feminist faves throughout history like Audre Lorde, listener coming out stories, and other hot-button topics like toxic masculinity and the Me Too movement as well as plenty feminist history, the good and the controversial. And then every Friday, I bring you a mini What's in the News episode to keep you up to date with everything that's going on today in the world. And with over 580 episodes available to you right now, there's plenty of good stuff to listen to. You can listen to Your Angry Neighborhood Feminist wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to rage on. Bye.